Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kiley. This is Before the Box Score, the post-Boston College edition. Uh, we saw the game. We all watched it happen. Missouri Falls to Boston College in Boston in overtime. Uh... Okay, that's okay. That's okay. Given given what this team is and given the circumstances that this game was played and knowing how tough it is to win on the road and how tough for any young team to be consistent and how just at a talent disadvantage this team is, it's fine. It's fine. BK, how are you doing, man? I'm doing all right, man. Um, frustrating loss on the road, though. And I, I think one thing that needs to be set up front before we get into kind of breaking it down is uh, let's let's reset where the expectations were for us going into that game. And I think that's going to help people understand what our analysis is coming out of that game. You projected this to be either a close win or a close loss mm-hmm. going into the season. I was pretty much right there with you. Boston College is a good team right now under a new head coach that has the program trending in the right direction. This is going to sound weird when I say it, but it is objectively true. Winning that game on the road in front of that crowd and given what their team is right now would have been a higher quality win for Missouri than last year beating LSU at home. Go on. (laughs) All right. Now I'm going to allow you to to stop there for a moment. LSU was not a very good football team last year and it felt really big. And listen, man, I'm not here to pee in your Cheerios from that win. That was a signature victory in every possible way for Eli Drinkwitz, given when it happened early in the season against the team that just won the national championship. 
So that should have been celebrated every bit as much as it was. However, the game that you just played against Boston College that was against a better quality of opponent than it was at home against LSU. Talent, obviously not at the same degree, but in terms of the team that they put onto the field, it's a better football team. So it would have been a better win. And then you take into account going on the road in a true road game with full 100% capacity. The last time that Missouri went on the road, true road game at the opposing team stadium with 100% capacity in which they won was November 17th of 2018. Been a minute. So this would have been a big win for Missouri. And so let's start there and then we can kind of backtrack into exactly what it means now that they lost it. <laughs> yes, it's it would have been a big win. The The point of the matter is that this team is good. Like, that, they're good. They're not elite. They have a few playmakers, mostly on the offensive side. And they have one unit that's... Mm, <laughs> it's not great. But... You put it together, and it's a team that's fine, perfectly passable, a totally normal FBS team. And I think, you know, when you go back into the offseason, you're like, oh, we got Mookie Cooper. Oh, we got Blaze Aldrich. Oh, we got an NFL defensive coordinator. Like, you see the recruiting wins, and you see the guys that are on the team, and you're like, hey, I'm getting excited. And this is why, during the offseason, I said, no, let's – down in expectations. Let's eat our vegetables. Let's take a look at this logically. Let's look at what usually happens to teams like this. And point of the matter is that teams don't just magically get better in one season. And by the way, last year's team was also not good. They benefited from having an undefeated record in close games and were much closer to a two or three win team than a seven or eight win team. And guess what? Drinkwitz has lost two close games. All of a sudden, now we're like, oh, this is what this team has always been. When you have a run on close games and then you start losing them, that shows what you actually are. So this team is probably, well, I can tell you right now, it's basically the same team as it was last year. A little worse right now, but it's Mm -hmm. basically the same team. Except you are minus three NFL quality defensive starters. And guess where the problems are? They're on the defense. So this is this is just going to be the way it is. This is what this team is. We know exactly what it is. It's probably not going to get any better. And this is what Drinkwitz and his staff are going to have to work with for the next eight games. I trust them to be able to figure out and win a few more. But it's just it's it's a team that's okay. And yes, that can be frustrating given all of the positive momentum of the offseason. Yeah, and in that game that you just lost. It was very clear how you lost it. So there were two things in particular that immediately come to mind. Number one, turnover Mm -hmm. margin. You turned the ball over twice. They turned it over once. You lost by one possession. Well, guess what? The last possession that you had, you turned it over. That was basically the difference in the game. Uh, Number two, couldn't stop the run. Just couldn't do it. There was no point in time that I went into any series thinking, hey, Missouri's going to do a really good job here stopping the run. Didn't happen. (laughs) Never once. Not a single time during the course of that game did I have any sort of a semblance of hope that Missouri was going to be able to do it. In fact, the only times in which Missouri got stops was when Boston College, for some reason or another, decided not to run the football. They should have finished that game with 75 rushing Mm -hmm. attempts. Seriously, they, they shouldn't. After their first play, which was... 
an interception mm -hmm. after their first play from scrimmage, which was intercepted by Missouri's defense, should have ran it the entire rest of the day. Their left side of their offensive line was punking Missouri's defensive line all day long. And by the way, that's happened to a lot of teams and will continue to happen to a lot of teams. Boston College has a very good offensive line and their running backs are super effective and efficient. When you have that kind of a running game, and there are so few things that go wrong when you run the football compared to when they throw the football, like you saw in their first place from scrimmage. Just keep running it. Keep running it down Missouri's throat until they prove they can stop it. There was one drive the entire game when Missouri did a pretty good job of uh, slowing down the run, and it resulted in uh, a quick punt late in the game. I believe Missouri's backup linebackers were strangely enough in the game for exclusively mm -hmm. that series. And I don't know if it was causation or correlation. Uh, there's a million different ways that you could break that down, but it was interesting to see that. And otherwise Missouri had no chance at any point of stopping the run. And that's been a theme of the season. I've got the numbers right in front of me right now, Nate. Missouri's defense is currently 128th out of 130 FBS teams. In total run defense, they have allowed 1,084 yards on the ground so far this year. They are 129th among 130 FBS teams in yards per carry mm -hmm. allowed. They have allowed an average of 6.2 yards per carry. So far this year, Nate, final stat for you, and I'll get your reaction mm -hmm. after this. Missouri, in their four games, has allowed at least 275 yards rushing three times yeah they have only allowed at least 270 yards rushing three times in a season once over the last 20 years prior to this stretch and that was in 2016 when they finished the year four and eight this run defense is real mm. bad it's one of the worst that we have seen in missouri over the last two decades it probably will go down as the worst that we've seen by a missouri defense in the last two decades there's no quick fixes for it. In fact, I don't think there's any fixes for it in the entire 2021 season. The personnel is mm -hmm. the problem. And that's what's frustrating. You're watching this. You know they can't stop it. And they're not going to stop it. And that sucks, man. This defense is letting offensive succeed on a 43% rate. That is 90th in the country. They get a three and out 18% of the time. That's 117th in the country. Uh... Teams get explosive plays 17% of the time. That is dead last in the country. And do you have the run rate for explosive plays? Uh, rushing explosive plays. 120th in the nation. Yeah. Okay. I'm actually surprised yeah. it's that high. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is when the offenses get into scoring position. So when they cross the 40, Missouri is giving up 4.8 points per opportunity which is 107th mm. so um not great basically yes the problem is the personnel i know look everyone's looking to blame somebody like that the, sure the easiest way to point to this is to point to steve wilkes he's the new guy last year this defense wasn't that bad sure we used to have nick bolton sure we used to have tyree gillespie and josh Bledsoe, but hey it's only three guys okay Steve Wilkes may be the problem. I'm not saying he's not. He's a defensive savant. He's used to working with pros. There is a chance that he hasn't figured out how to call a college game or how to teach college players sure. or how to find a scheme that college kids are going to understand. Absolutely possible. 
I also know that Nick Bolton, Tyree Gillespie, and Josh Bledsoe made that defense look a lot better. And the reason I know that is because the two worst defensive showings of last year's team was when Tyree Gillespie couldn't play and Nick Bolton was running around on one foot. And he could basically only blitz the quarterback. And what happened? Georgia destroyed us. What happened? Mississippi State ran for 200 yards. Ran. A Mike Leach Mississippi State team ran for 200 yards on Missouri. That is what this Missouri defense is without those guys. And that's what they are now. So it's the same. And and I, I'm sure there is some there is, you, there is blame for everybody. There is blame for everybody. You can blame Odin for not knowing how to recruit. You can blame Wilkes for not knowing how to teach. And you can blame the players for not knowing how to tackle or read their gap assignments. Like, everybody is at the problem here. That's why you're the 128th worst defense in the country, because everybody has some finger in the blame pot here, okay? But yes, it's not going to change. What can change? Wilkes can learn. Wilkes can get a little bit better. You can just keep rotating guys. You can hope that some of these guys figure something out or like the, the talent lets up. You get to play Vandy. You get to play North Texas. You get to play South Carolina. These things can happen. But your top-end talent, your seniors and juniors, they aren't, they aren't magically going to get better in the next eight games. So this, this staff needs to reevaluate how they want to play this game around this glaring weakness that they should know at this point is not going to get better. Yeah, it... I think the thing that's the worst about it, man, is that there is nothing more demoralizing than watching your team get run all over because you and they said it on the broadcast the other day and they were absolutely correct in this assessment of it. You just you feel like there's nothing you can do. It's 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 going to sound like a weird word and I'm not talking like manly strength or anything, but it's almost emasculating in some ways where it's like, damn, like do yeah. something <laughs> like, try try something else. And so I understand if you're sitting on your couch and you're like. Well, what you're doing is clearly not working. Do something different. Yeah, I, I kind of get that, honestly. But this is what they're trying to do. And what they're doing is not all that dissimilar from what probably a hundred other programs around the country are doing. Like their run defense is, hey, everybody's got a gap. You have to stay disciplined to that gap. And if you don't stay disciplined into that gap, we're super screwed because they're going to run really far. <laughs> Do you know what every other team is coaching to? It's the exact same stuff. Um, one thing that I do, I remember when, I think it was the first year after Odom was hired as the head coach, they moved to a read and react. That's what yeah. everybody called it. A read and react that 2016 defense. defense that gave up so many points yeah. and yards. I do think there's some similarities to that. Um, you can tell... Missouri's defensive linemen, instead of penetrating, I, I don't know if they're two gapping or not. I would have to go back and kind of look more at, and rewatch a bunch of this stuff more closely than we are capable of doing on a broadcast view. And it's hard to get a hold of that kind of film. But um, what you're seeing is a lot of guys that look hesitant along the defensive line. And for example, Trajan Jeffcoat doesn't look like the same player this year as he was a year ago. And I don't know if that's health. Sometimes when you see a guy that's and I'm not suggesting anything, but sometimes when you see a guy that was super productive a year ago and he doesn't look like the same player, that might just be as simple as there's something nagging him. I don't know that to be true, but that's possible. Or he's just not 
latching onto the system the way that you would like to see, or just not a fit for him schematically. All of those are possible, but Missouri's defensive line right now is getting zero penetration, whether that be against the pass, against the run. There's almost never a time where you see those guys in the backfield, and if they're getting a TFL, there's a really good chance it's either a safety or Mm -hmm. Blaze Aldridge because they're shooting a gap. You almost never see that from the defensive linemen, and that suggests to me that there's something about the scheme that is a little bit awry potentially for these specific defensive linemen, and maybe they switch that up a little bit, and maybe that can be something that at least gives you a few more negative plays, and that helps you get into more manageable situations on second and third down where they're not running as much, but it could also lead to some more big plays. So you're giving one, it's a zero-sum game. You're giving one and you're taking another. I don't know, man. Moral of the story, they've got issues right now defensively that they're not going to get fixed this year, and it's probably going to take an offseason, maybe multiple, to truly fix these. You know, the the... The 2016 defense was so frustrating because 2015 was literally the best Missouri defense we ever saw. And then we hired the guy. And some of that was game script, by the way. Some of that was game script because that offense could not score and everybody knew it. So they went super conservative against Missouri as well. It's true. It's true. But then we hired the architect of that defense and then he didn't keep that defense. Right. What you're seeing at Arkansas right now, that 3-4 he didn't run it at Mizzou. He ran at Memphis, didn't run it at Mizzou. Uh, he did the read and react. And here, here was my problem. And this this goes back to everyone's favorite. Barry Odom sucks as a head coach. Let's let's just dive into it. Um, in 2016, he established that read and react defense with DeMonte Cross. And it didn't, it wasn't working. They were getting gashed. And there was really nothing to play for. Like, this is a new coach, brand new coach you got a year or two to kind of figure his stuff out. And what did he do? He backtracked halfway through the season. He went back to the, the simplistic four, three that Dave Steckel had and then started running that. And then he's like, Oh, well we're going to go into four, two, five with DeMonte cross. And Oh, we're going to fire cross. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to have Ryan Walters do a four, three. And then we're going to switch it to a four, two, five. Like he changed everything about that defense so many times if you want to establish something, that's fine. If you want to change it, also cool. But I would prefer you establish a system and then give it, mm, I don't know, maybe more than five games to figure out that's what you actually want to do. Because the worst thing you could do is take all off season to teach these guys this new system. And then halfway through or the next year, you say, JK, we're going back to something different. Because then you're starting off at square one. Now, if this is truly just something that doesn't work, with this personnel and you don't think it's going to work with the personnel you're bringing in. Yes. By all means, switch it at the same time. This you hired Wilkes for his defensive mind for his scheme. I would prefer that he is coaching from a position of comfort and knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and then recruit to that scheme because again, you're not really playing for anything. This is only year two, really year one. Cause I'm not really counting COVID like you have some runway here to establish the system that you want and recruit to it. The worst thing to you, you could do to me as the guy blogging in my basement, the worst thing you could do to me is to just backtrack on that and try something different so fast. So I don't know what the answer is. If you want to simplify it a little bit, I'm fine, but I'm not saying throw the system out because you should stick with that and go forward because this is the guy you hired coach Drinkwitz. I'm with you. And I, I think you give this a shot. Um, and I, 
I do think it can work. And again, I, I want to make this very clear. A lot of what Missouri's doing defensively is what maybe I was over overzealous with 100. I bet you there's 65 to 70 programs across the country that run a very similar defensive scheme to what Missouri's doing right now. Very similar. So this is not something that Missouri came up with that was like, oh boy, they got this guy that was a high school coach in Texas and he was doing everything differently. And he completely changed though the way that they played modern defense and we're going to give him a shot at the SEC level. Like, that's not what this is. This is Steve Wilkes, who's been a part of the football cognoscenti in the NFL for the last 20 years. Like, he, he's pulled from Ron Rivera and Lovey Smith. Like, this, this is not some defense that you've never seen before. You've seen iterations of this all across college football and across the NFL as well, for that matter. And it can work. You got to have the dudes, though. You got to have the dudes. And right now, it's pretty simple. Missouri just doesn't have the dudes defensively. And their hope, the belief is, and we've talked about this a million different times, Nate, the recruiting is going to change that. Mm -hmm. And that's why the recruiting rankings matter. It's why when you get a kid that was committed to Virginia Tech that is a stud athlete that might become a good linebacker, hey, that's a good guy to get committed to Missouri right now because you could really use some athleticism and youth um, that's that's pumped into this linebacker core. Mm-hmm. Maybe two years from now, he becomes an answer. I don't know. Maybe somebody else that's going to be a part of this recruiting class can be an answer at the linebacker spot. Maybe one of the guys they, re- they recruited last year can be. It's all possible. But right now, they're not the answers, and Missouri's searching for a lot of them. And oh, by the way, not to get all doom and gloom here, but the next three dudes, the next three teams that you're going up against, mm-hmm. Tennessee, North Texas, and Texas A&M, they're all top 50 nationally when it comes to running the football. So this this very well could get worse before it ends up getting a whole lot better, unfortunately. Yeah. But again, what were you playing for? Well, if you ask me what they were playing for, they were playing to get into a bowl. Yeah. And the end. But you get the, the, these next two games are must win. To to get to a bowl, you have to beat Tennessee, you have to beat North Texas. Yeah, you do. Or you have to start picking off an A&M, a Georgia, or a Florida, which... Mm, I'm looking no. for the easiest road. Yeah, we, we want to take Tennessee, North Texas, Vandy, South Carolina. You've got to win those four games. Yeah. That gets you to six, and you go to a bowl game, and that is... I know it sounds bad to hear, Mizzou fans, but you just lost your two swing games. Those were the ones that could get you to seven, maybe eight wins. Mm-hmm. You lost both of them, so now the hope is six. Yep. And a successful season this year, at this point, is getting to six wins and going to a bowl game, having a good week in there, and then enjoying yourself. Yeah. That's it. Yep. Yep. Getting those practices. <laughs> but, like, you know, the, the the defense is, they are doing what they can. You have seen a lot of youth rotating in, you know, and that's that's kind of the thing. We're, we're tapped out. As far as personnel, we are tapped out. We don't, we have literally no one else that we can reliably throw to in there. Um, we saw what the d- backups look like. It was against SEMO. It didn't go it well. It didn't go well. No. So, yes, Kobe Whiteside and Akil Byers are taking the majority of snaps uh, on the interior of the line. We've seen Realist George. He had significant playing time uh, on Saturday. Darius Robinson is going to be out. End of story. He's not an option. So, we've seen Mikai Wingo. He stepped in. Uh, we see Johnny Walker Jr. We've seen Arden Walker. Uh, we've seen Travian Ford as he's getting healthier. Um, but like, this is, this is it linebacker wise. You don't really have a lot of options. You mentioned that, uh, Jamie Petway and Chad Bailey were in on the one drive that they stopped the run. Okay. Uh, I know they're still trying to get Chuck Hicks cleared for this year. Probably not going to happen. 
but this this is what we have. This is what we have. I still don't know why Allie Green is not seeing the field. That is beyond me, but I'm less concerned mm. about the pass defense because it's actually pretty good uh, and, and more concerned about the run defense. And we just don't have guys to put out there. So they are th- they are rotating in youth. They are trying to get them experience now, which you might as well, because, again, the goal is bowl game and you can do that with youth. Um, but uh, there's there's just no other answer on the defense. So it's kind of up to the offense to to win these games. And guess what? They're good. That that's it. They have a good quarterback in Connor Bays. Like they have excellent special teams, as we've saw. Uh, they got a great running back, and they have pretty good receivers. And they're just going to have to win, uh, score as many points as possible to win. And that's not uh, it's not a given. And that's that that sucks. <laughs> it's that's just where we're at. Okay, so you brought up Connor Bays. Like you said, they have a good quarterback in Connor Bays. I do. Oh sure, I am. For what for what this okay. offense needs to be, safe decisions. Like for the most part, other than two throws on Saturday, Bazelak's going <laughs> to be your guy to to usually do that. I don't know what got in his head those two plays, but uh, usually he's your guy for that. So I'm with you. Um, I I think he's actually had a pretty decent year so far this mm-hmm. year. Prior to Boston College. And for a lot of that game, I thought it was pretty darn good. But when you're playing the style that Missouri is playing offensively right now, and it's death by a thousand cuts, right? They've got Tyler Beatty, who is their their lone back. I think their other backs combined for like five snaps in that yeah. game. They're they're just going with Tyler Beatty the rest of the year. And I don't blame them, yeah. frankly. He's he's the best player on the team. Go for it. I get it. He's the guy that's going to be out of the backfield. They're going with like 15 different wide receivers. Everybody stay fresh. Everybody stay healthy. We'll get all of you guys out there. Everybody's going to get five targets. Okay, fine. I'm in on that. And everybody's going to run seven yard routes. So you're going to need 30 completions to be able to finish the game and feel good about what your offense is because it's going to be six, seven, six, seven, ten, eight, seven, six, ten. It, that, that, those are what it's going to look like. Mm-hmm. If you play that way, you can't make the mistakes that Connor Bazelak did on Saturday. You can't. It cannot happen. The throw that he made at the end of that game, inexcusable, man. You, you cannot make that throw in that specific spot. There was no need for it. It was first and 10. You're in overtime. You know you need seven. And you play the style that works really well for overtime because you don't make the mistakes. The other team does. You allow them to make that mistake. And they had already apparently told Connor Bazelak going into that drive, Hey, we're going to go for two if we score here. So what's the need to score on the first play? You had triple covered uh, Kiki Chisholm, who had all all things aside, a very good game Mm -hmm. on Saturday. So Kiki deserves his credit. So maybe he just wanted to see what that matchup looked like. I get that in theory. But once you see that he's going to have three dudes in the area when you throw that football, you can't make that throw, man. You just can't have it in that spot. And they only had, I think it was two guys going into routes on that play. So you've either got to eat that one and throw it away, or you've got to find somebody else available on a short outlet for you. But you cannot make that throw in that spot. And then his other interception was not good either. That was another issue that I had in that game. His other one was just a completely underthrown ball on second and six intended for Barrett Bannister. Man, if you're going to play the way that Missouri does, he can't make those kinds of mistakes. And he made two of them on Saturday, and they were completely crippling. They were not the reason why Missouri lost. That was the run defense. But 
they didn't allow Missouri to be able to climb back when they had a chance. I I don't know what that that throw to Bannister was. It was late. It was on the other side of the field. And he just completely missed uh, the safety sitting in there. I I don't. It's usually not a mistake he makes, but he was pressing downfield. And then, yeah, the overtime one, he didn't even look to the left. Daniel Parker Jr. was lined up on a safety or a linebacker or something, basically single covered. And I don't know if it would have been a touchdown or not, but like I would trust throwing it to him in single coverage over Kiki Chisholm in triple. I mean, I'd call me crazy. Um, so I, I don't understand those decisions, but you're right. You, you cannot take risks when you are it, that you are, you are the, this is how this team wins, play it safe and maximize your scoring opportunities. And he pushed it twice. So I, I don't know. I don't know what, what the deal was there. It cost him the game. I'm sure he was very upset all from all reports from the from the post-game conference it was the most uh, emotional anyone has seen him uh after after a game so i'm I'm sure he he is feeling it as well he understands how he screwed up but yes th- th- this is an egalitarian passing attack where everybody gets five touches and you have a, a singular running attack where it's it's Beatty or nothing or cox when it's when it's uh short distance but at this point, you know, I, I know Mookie Cooper tweeted out uh, some some frustrations after the game, and I, Dominic Lovett's not being used. But th- look, Mookie's got one foot, and Dominic is is fast, and he doesn't have a lot of other skills to him. Mm-hmm. At this point, your guys who are actually worth it and reliable: Kiki Chisholm, Barrett Bannister, Toski Dove, and then your wild cards, the guys who can make a play happen. JJ Hester and Chance Looper. Yep. And those are the guys who should be playing. Those are those are the guys who are playing. Deontay Smith, Boo Smith, if you want to get frisky. But for Cooper and Lovett, you guys are young, you're unexperienced, you don't know the playbook. And also Mookie Cooper, you got one foot. So maybe this isn't the year for you to contribute, but learn and, and you'll get there. But there's a pretty established rotation, and I'm good with the receivers, but no one's really gonna blow anybody away here. Yeah, Mookie's a fine player, but he he's a gadget player right now. He he's doing everything around the line of scrimmage. All of his it, whenever he touches the football, it's typically either a jet sweep or a screen, um, or like a, just a a quick stop and get him the ball three yards away from the line of scrimmage. And the way that you can see that is he's got ten receptions for ninety yards. Mm-hmm. He's got six rushes for sixteen yards. Like he's sixteen so far touches on the season for one hundred and ten yards. It's just not a whole lot of production that you're getting when Mookie Cooper gets the ball in his in his hands. I think that's going to change. I think he's going to be a good player at Missouri. But as you mentioned, he's just not healthy right now. Dominic Lovett is a guy who right now, the only thing he does when he comes into the game for the most part is run wind sprints. So he runs really far, really fast. And then maybe the ball comes his way, but typically it doesn't. And then he goes back to the sideline. And then he comes back in and does it again. And that's fine. Like there, there's value in having that guy. And whenever you go up against a team like Simo, you see the value in that because he wins over the top and then he gets a bunch of separation and then he, he gets a big play. It's great. But in the other game so far this year, he had four catches for 18 yards against Kentucky. He had two catches for 14 yards against Boston College. When you try to get him involved, there's just not a whole lot there right now. So they've gone to guys that are producing more and frankly, more power to them and credit, honestly, to the coaching staff 
for seeing that J.J. Hester brought something different to the lineup and allowing him to get more opportunities. He earned them, and he was pretty darn good in his opportunities against Boston College, and he should continue seeing more moving forward. Barrett Bannister, as you have said, is just a walking first down. When he catches the football, it's going to go for 10 yards, it's going to go across the middle or straight to the sideline, and then boom, he's going to get straight to the sticks. He's pretty darn reliable, so put him out there. He's got opportunities. Kiki Chisholm's your best wide receiver right now. There is no close second guy. And Chance Looper has the opportunity anytime he touches the football to be able to go the distance. So you've got a bunch of guys right now that are er deserving of earning playing time, and they're getting a lot of them cycled into the game at different times. So credit to them for doing so. The offense, though, they need to be more consistent. And that's where those interceptions that you saw from Connor Bazelak on Saturday, that is the inconsistency that has to be eliminated because this team just has such a small margin for error. When your defense is the way that they are right now, I mean, how many times three or four years ago would we have been like, man, if you could just get a, an offense that could score 34 points, <laughs> holy cow, this team would be so good. Yeah. Well, Saturday it wasn't enough, and it was because the defense is so bad right now. So you're... You're going to need the offense to play basically mistake-free football with consistent 8-12 to 12 play drives that end up scoring in the red zone. And if you can do that, they're going to have an opportunity to still win six games this year. But it takes all of that for them to be able to do it. Um, I did want to bring up one other thing in particular mm -hmm. uh, of in terms of the positive that came out of that game. Mm -hmm. Mizzou has a really good kicker, man. Like a, a a really, really good kicker. The man can do. No I wrong. so badly wish. I so badly wish they would have won that game because we might have led this. <laughs> we might have led this show with Harrison Mevis takes. Dude. That guy is incredible. I don't know how he does it. He's amazing. Fifty six yards, man. 56 yards as a game-tying field goal as time expires on the road in front of a legit sellout crowd at Boston College. That's amazing. Ice in his veins, man. Ice in his veins and just beef in his legs and his ass. <laughs> and he just knocks the stuffing out. I don't... I, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something crazy. When I saw him line up for it, I was like, oh yeah, he's got it. He's got it. And I thought that for a 56 yarder and, I, and it still surprised me when it happened. It's just like, I, I don't know. It, at some point he's going to miss and we're going to all, you know, God is dead uh, at moment. But like, it is, it is absolutely incredible. I don't know how he does it. I don't know. I know people are like, well, he's no Jeff Wolfert or he's no Grant Russell. Well, Okay, neither Wolford... Take whoever your favorite Mizzou kicker is ever, and I'll take me yeah, this. Wolford nor Russell <laughs> hit a 57, 56 or a 57-yard field goal, and never under a pressure situation like that. I love Grant Russell. He was great. His most pressure-packed uh, pressure pack kick was a, what, 20-yarder? Granted, it was the border war. It was in Kansas City. Uh, it was for the win. Like, that's a lot of pressure. Wasn't 56 yards. I can tell you that. Uh, this dude doesn't miss, never. man. He doesn't miss. He has never... Knock on wood. I'm going to... Knock on wood now. Yeah. He has kicked 48 extra points so far in his Mizzou career. Mm -hmm. He's made every single one of them. Yes. Every single one. Yeah. Nobody does that in college football nowadays. Jeff Wolford did. 
but yeah, certainly not now. Um, yeah, 40, 20 for 20 for this year. Four for four mm. on field goals, all of them over 40 yards. Five for five. Five, five, for five. five for five. What am I talking about? Five for five. Yes. So for, for his career, let's just let's just look at this stupid thing here. For his career, 48 extra points, 13 field goals under 40 yards, 12 field goals over 40 yards. And he has made 48 plus 12 plus 10. He is... He's four for five on 40 to 49 and five for six on field goals that are 50 or more yards. Five for six on field goals 50 plus, man. On ev- Most kickers around college football are like 30% on those. Every time his foot hits the ball, it goes through the upright 95.9% of the time and 100% of 2021. Now, I understand that all changes because we're talking in, you know into existence now, but whatever. That he is incredible. He is a clutch kicker. He beat Arkansas last year. He put Missouri into overtime this year. He can hit it from basically any any distance that you want. The moon, it's fine. He's got you. Um, it's absolutely incredible. And uh, we are very lucky to have him. And I hope we win a few games with him because he he certainly has deserved it. It's it's been so much fun to watch. And he he's a legit weapon because when Missouri gets inside of the Really now, the 40. Yeah. When you get inside of the 40, you know you got points. And so that's just another reason why Connor Bazelak stopped throwing interceptions. <laughs> like, it's just you've got you've got a kicker that's a legit weapon right now, and you you know you can use him. So that's that's one thing from that game that I wanted to make sure that we were able to get into. Um an, another thing that I did want to bring up as as it relates to Connor Bazelak, and now with the ceiling of the season kind of changing a little bit. I, we can talk, we can expand on this on this week's show in the midweek, because this is less about this individual game, more about moving forward. But I would not be opposed at this point to seeing Tyler Macon get one series per half the way that Mizzou used to do that with his young, with its young quarterbacks under Gary Pinkle to just get them kind of used to the college game. I know that that is not something that the starting quarterback is going to be interested in. I understand that. But for the betterment of this program and seeing as how now you've lost two of your swing games on the season, I think it might be worth giving an opportunity to Macon to see what that looks like. And if he is able to make good on that, I think you might have a competition this spring between Macon and Basilek to see what it looks like throughout the spring in camp. It was, it was a thought that crossed my mind on Saturday. I know we briefly touched on it then, but this offense is going to be hampered by a lack of a deep ball passing game. Just flat out. It seems as if Connor Basilek is never going to be that guy. Now, part of that is the weapons around him, sure. But he wasn't doing it last year. He's not really connecting on them this year. And Tyler Macon, we've seen him do that at the high school level. Let's see what he can do at the college level. He is going to elevate. He, sorry, he has the potential to elevate this offense beyond what it currently is. I feel like he would be a lot more boomer bust, but we're also getting busts with Connor Bazelak, and he's supposed to be the. The safe pick. 
So yes, it might not feel great as Connor Bays like to say, Hey man, um, one series per game, Tyler's going out there. But at the same time, this is competitive football. We need to make sure that the best guys are playing to figure out if the best guys are playing. We need to get them reps. And then, like you said, reassess in the spring. Also when Sam Horn is conceivably going to be on, on, mm-hmm. on the team. Um, yeah. If, if Connor was, was, was making the right choices consistently and not throwing two interceptions in a game that you, that you had to have, I wouldn't have even thought of it, but the number of deep balls that we are not connecting on really makes this offense tougher to operate when everyone's just, I will give them a 10 yard cushion and that's all we really need. So I, I am okay with it. I would like to see what he can do. If he sucks, then okay, fine. He sucks. <laughs> we'll keep Bazelak for, you know, the rest of the season, exactly. but you kind of have to figure it out. And I certainly, they don't owe us anything as fans. They don't owe us to show us this, but you do owe it to your team to see what, what it could be. Um, when you got a few games on the schedule where conceivably we should be able to really play around and see what he can do, but embrace the youth movement. Because two years from now is when you're really going to have a better team around you. And it would be better to have those more athletic weapons, get some experience uh, now when you don't really have much to play for. So I am, I am with you on that. How many pass attempts would you guess Connor Bazelek has had um, above 10 yards so far this year? 15. So on the season, deep middle. So, 11 and end up he's thrown five five deep middle okay on the outside so um outside the hashes so far this year mm-hmm. he's thrown 30 on the season no that's 11 plus 20 plus yards on the okay, season yeah, there's 20 20 plus, so that's the actual deep passing game yeah. he's thrown 17 so far he's connected on four really four mm-hmm boo smith yep. Uh, Cooper, Mookie Cooper against Simo. Um, yeah, in non Simo games, he's connected on two deep passes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not good, man. It's not. It's not good. And I, the reason why I bring it up is just because w- when you watched, and I know it's one pass, it's one throw, and you can't fall in love with one throw because everybody's got them, right? But when you watch the throw that Macon had to J.J. Hester in that SEMO game, <laughs> yes. the zip on it was different. Yeah. And you could see it from the moment that it left his hand. That thing was screaming, going straight to, J- uh, to Hester. And it hit him in stride and allowed him to score on that mm-hmm. play. I'd like to see more of that. Um, and it, I think it's worthy of at least giving some consideration to. I doubt they do it against Tennessee. I, I don't think you'll see it no. there. But against North Texas, that's when you might, mm-hmm. you know, and, and against Vandy, for sure, you might. And late against Texas A&M, yeah, if things get sure. out of hand, knock yourself out. maybe you see a little bit of that as well. Mm-hmm. And against Georgia, for sure, in the second mm-hmm. half, I think we should all be expecting to see the backup quarterback at some point in that game. This is not a shot against Missouri. Georgia is unbelievable. Mm-hmm. And they do the thing that you don't do well, uh, which is they run it and you don't stop mm-hmm. it. So it's just something that I that came to mind as I was watching some of the struggles that you saw from Basilek in that game. And after they had lost their second consecutive swing game, mm-hmm. 
with the season's record mattering a little less now, the development for next year is starting to matter a little more. Mm -hmm. And Macon's a guy that they've got to find out about, man, because you mentioned it. When you've got Sam Horn coming in, this is going to be a pretty crowded quarterback room here pretty soon. And you got to know who you like and who you don't, because some of these guys are going to transfer. That's how it works mm -hmm. in college football. Yeah, that's part of it. I, I'm not going to make any guesses. It, it wouldn't be fair. But yeah, this, the, the three quarterbacks you have right now, we're not going to see them graduate from Mizzou. One of them is going to leave. When you bring in Sam Horn, same thing. It's going to be another, someone else is going to leave. That's just how it is. Drinkwitz, if he does his job right, is going to continue to bring in blue chip quarterbacks and they're going to battle and battle and try and make him better. And he's going to pick the one that runs the offense the best. End of story. Um, Tyler Macon has got a cannon of an arm. He's also pretty mobile. I'm not saying he's, you know, Mike Vick or anything like that, but he he liked to move around, at least in the in the video you see from, from his East St. Louis days. Eli Trinkwitz has not really had a quarterback like that. He's had quarterbacks who like to run, but not to the degree uh, that Tyler Macon can. So I'd be really curious to see how he how he utilizes a weapon like him uh, from the quarterback position. But yeah, I just you're you're looking to peak in a couple of years. Yes, technically Connor Bay's like could be that guy, but I just feel like we've seen his limitations at this point. Uh, he's going to make a boneheaded throw once or twice per game. That just so happened to bite you twice in this one. Um, he, he is mobile. It doesn't run all that much and he's going to make the safer pass, which for the most part is going to work, but it also means you have to execute for 16 plays every time that you want to score. So it would be nice to have uh, a downfield passing game of 20 plus yards. Like we we're talking about to really just open it up and keep people on their toes, make it a little bit easier on the offense. I don't know if that's going to be the answer, but we need to, like you said, we need to figure it out soon because there's, there's going to be a lot of talent and you got to figure out who your guy is. And you know what, if, you know, we decide making is the guy going forward, maybe we win a few more games. I don't know. I, it's, it's crazy talk. You can't really look to a freshman to change the outlook of an entire team, but mm -hmm. sometimes that jolt of energy is enough to, to make a change. So I don't know. I would be all for it. And Connor Basil has done great. And if it's him for the rest of the year, that's fine too. But I, I at this point, like you said, it doesn't hurt to look, take a look. Yeah. It, it's kind of like I mentioned with the receivers coming off of the SEMO game. Hey, give them a few more snaps. Yeah. Let's, let's find out what Chance Looper and JJ Hester are able to do. They did that. And it looked pretty good for the most mm -hmm. part. It didn't change things completely, but it looked pretty good. They, they got opportunities and they were able to produce with them. And this week you saw that I think helped them offensively. Next week, it's a much more dramatic, much more drastic shift if you decide to do this. But I, I think it's worth maybe it's one one series. I, I would like to see two, but it's harder in the second half. So probably one series per game moving forward, seeing Tyler Macon out there I, again. I don't think you'll see it against Tennessee, but starting against North Texas, if there are some more struggles from Basilek against Tennessee, I, I think I think it's worth considering. Um, did you have any other kind of final thoughts from the Boston college game in particular. Was there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we uh, broke down before we get out of here? Not yet. Cause I've only watched it one and a half times. Um, <laughs> I can tell you uh, obviously from a, from a rushing standpoint, we know that the Missouri defense sucks at, at stopping the rush. Okay. Uh, let's just go real quick through the games. Central Michigan success rate on the ground was 48.3%. Kentucky's success rate on the ground 57.8%. Uh, CMOS rushing success rate on the ground, 
57.6%. I did this last night. Boston College's rushing success rate on the ground, 52.2%. Missouri has held one team below a 50% success rate on the ground, and it was Central Michigan. So, just a little bit more context to polish up that turd for you. That's my last thought for now. I got two more watches to figure out everything else, but uh, I will come up with any other nuggets of intrigue to share huh. from such a such a sad loss. But you know what? This team is 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 good. It's not great, but it's always it's designed to always be in the game at the end. It doesn't look great. It's uncomfortable, but there they are every single game with a chance to win it at the end. And there is something to be said about that. That goes to coaching quarterback play and, and special teams. And at yep. least uh, we can trust Drinkwitz and this staff to, even if they're outgunned, uh, they can, they can close it. They can close strong and hope and maybe win a few. So I think that's pretty cool, man. Final thoughts that I would like to give. We, we haven't mentioned these guys a whole lot. Uh, I'd like to give some flowers to two different guys for their game. Sean Robinson, interception in that one. He's basically taken over now as your uh, like dime nickel package safety. Mm-hmm. He's the guy that's coming in there a lot in those particular formations. And we've seen that for some of the year, but even more so now. He's kind of taken over instead of some of the corners that they've tried there. He's given them a little more versatility. He's playing pretty darn well right now, and he had the interception. So kudos to him. What an awesome story for Missouri this year and a guy that it's super easy to rally behind. And then the other one, just Tyler Beatty still doing Tyler Beatty things. <laughs> he he was at times the best player on the field once again for the majority of that game. He's just he's been awesome, man. He's everything that I was hoping that he could be this year. He's already exceeded his carry total from last year. Mm-hmm. He's eight catches away from his reception total from last season. Mm-hmm. He's already exceeded the touchdown total that he had last season. He's a tremendous football player who is getting the opportunity that I was hoping that he would as a senior. And next year, he's going to go make millions of dollars because he is the exact type of running back that every NFL team would love to have on their roster. So Kudos to him. Kudos to Eli Drinkwitz for making sure that he uses a five foot eight running back the way that he should. Um, I know it's not the prototype, but man, he is super effective out there and he is a heck of a lot of fun to watch. And I know it came in a loss, but those two guys, I wanted to make sure that we give them their kudos. Absolutely. And of course, we'll be back on Wednesday with any other things that we can share. And we're looking forward to Tennessee week, a team that we thought was going to be super bad and that's not totally the case right now, uh, but we'll we'll dive into it a little bit deeper on Wednesday night for you. Uh, that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. Leave a comment. You can give us a rate. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. And of course, you can follow the Rockin' Flagship at Rockin' Nation and listen to BK on the radio in St. Louis, 101 ESPN from 10 in the morning until three in the afternoon we appreciate you tuning in this time we'll try to do better next time and until then m-i-z z-o-u